Good evening. It's good to be with you all. Um, I am really, really grateful for the privilege to be able to uh, talk, to preach the word, uh, to share this with you. I, I also am very, very grateful. It's, it's times like this where I'm very grateful for uh, those of you who regularly pray for us as pastors and teachers. Um, so, qualifier. Um, I'm always grateful for that, but there is an element to which when you hear us go through a book of the Bible on a Sunday morning or Sunday night, for example, Sunday morning, you have Pastor Tim going through Romans. It's pretty predictable as to where he's going to be preaching next week, right? You, you see the pattern, you can, you can read. And we do the same thing uh, in Sunday evenings as well. We'll be, uh, I know Pastor Havas, uh, pretty soon we'll be going through the book of Esther, We've gone through other books in the Old Testament and New Testament. Um, that's a level of comfort that I personally have when I preach the Word. When we're assigned a topic, um, something like what we're studying now, the Christian and modern culture, which is so open-ended and so subject to interpretation, uh, there is a holy fear I have of making sure that I do what Pastor Tim said I was going to do, which is bring the word. I don't want it to be simply bring my take on life or culture. I certainly don't want it to be, um, you know, Pastor Mike's TED Talk, where you can just kind of have this and then move along your day and then then, then go along. It, it's not that. And, and so I, I want to, first of all, just be thankful for the privilege, but I also want to know that what I'm going to share with you tonight is very much a work in progress. Um, I'm praying for wisdom to be able to speak truth in a way that's helpful, in a way that's clear, in a way that's biblically accurate, but I'm also very much admitting that all of my ducks are not in a row when it comes to what I'm going to share with you insofar as we are applying this aspect of God's word to our lives. And I also don't want to appear to somehow cherry pick. And that's, that's just kind of really rolling down my window. When you have a topic that you're preaching on or, or that you're, you're talking on, it, it's seemingly easy to just kind of cherry pick verses here and there and shoehorn them into whatever your canned message is. And see, I have God's word backing me up. Thus, go and do likewise. And I don't want that at all. I want you, by God's grace, to be like the Berean Christians who, as you're reading God's Word and as you're seeing it play out in life in a 21st century technologically advanced society, that you're able to use discernment. And not only in application, but also keeping me and the rest of us leadership accountable as well. So all that being said, I'm really scared going into tonight. Um, not scared like shaking in my boots, but, but just a holy reverence, that's all. So I, you know, I think it would do us well to, to pray once more and to uh, look into God's word and, and uh, learn. So let's pray. God, thanks so much for the privilege. Thank you so much for the souls that came um, here this Sunday evening. It's, it's sunny in 75, and it's a gorgeous summer evening. And they have come, and they're with us. Uh, they're with one another. It's a blessing to be with one another. It's a joy to uh, be able to study and learn God's word with one another. And I pray for the privilege um, that, that is before us that we might 
uh, as Pastor Tim uh, quoted from James chapter 1, that we would be doers of the word and not simply hearers. Uh, certainly we want to hear from the word, so Lord, give me wisdom, and I pray that um, you would be glorified most importantly in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just a quick review. Uh, in the months of June and July, we've been tackling this topic in the, um, in the evening services, the Christian and modern culture. And Pastor Kent started off with really just the theology of all of this, and that our hearts as believers should be to consume a knowledge of God and not culture. And so the study of God, theology, is not an abstract thing. It's not a GLBI thing. It's not a systematic theology thing. It's a very practical thing. What we believe about God, what we know to be true about God, will flow into our day-to-day life. And because God is holy, because God is holy, and because His holiness is an attribute of His goodness, that will play into our role here within our society. So, as we looked at culture, and as we looked at comparing culture with, say, for example, worldliness, it's important that we don't conflate the two, or that we don't somehow blend the two, so that we immediately jump to a conclusion that culture is inherently evil. Culture is simply where we live. The world, we do know, is evil, insofar as the world that we're not supposed to love, according to 1 John chapter 2. We're not talking about the physical world. We're not talking about nature. We're talking about the system that's made up of sinners that is active, that is in active opposition to God. The world is not the physical world we live in. It's not the culture we live in. It consists of people and their practices. The world is an active opposition towards God. This is why we're told in 1 John 2.15, love not the word. This is why we're told in John chapter 17, when Jesus prays, he says that he calls his disciples to be in the world, but not of it. Okay, So as we looked at that, and we looked at, in particular, culture, and as culture transitions over time, we have an understanding that it's possible for believers to be able to associate certain aspects of worldliness, which is sin, with their culture. And that level of interpretation is going to differ within the body of believers. It's just going to. And as a result, we must be patient as we see cultural transitions take place. So that we don't automatically assign impure or sinful motives to people who might have differing cultural attachments to worldliness. Nor is it our responsibility to somehow take the place of the Holy Spirit and convince someone that what they simply see as cultural is worldly and sinful. God works in individuals. The Holy Spirit indwells all believers, and they will grow. We need to be, as Christians, we need to be confident of that ongoing change. And again, this is review. We also looked at the body of believers and how do we relate to believers who are embracing aspects of modern culture that we believe to be worldly. And part of the reality of the New Testament church is the influence of modern culture among church members. And just as points of application, we looked at this aspect of tolerance insofar as we have a level of patience with people as they grow, and tolerance within the body of Christ does not mean that something is worldly 
uh, something that is worldly is acceptable or even promoted. That there's a level of patience as people grow in their walk with Christ that we give the appearance, well, we don't give the appearance, but we, we are careful not to jump ahead of them and force them into arrived conviction that the Holy Spirit is still working out in their lives. And what that looks like is a personal relationship with that person. And with that relationship will always come patience, knowing that the rubric is not simply a list of rules in outer conformity. I mean, Pastor Tim has done a masterful job preaching through Romans 7 and, and addressing this. And as a result, when we see those changes take place in that person, we can be assured that People will grow. Christians will grow. And as people are born again, we inherit the mess. We inherit the level of spiritual immaturity within the body of believers. So that our church is not simply a country club. But it actually has multiple degrees of spiritual maturity. But one thing we all have in common is that we're growing towards Christ's likeness. Okay? So that was review. Tonight, we get to talk about the Christian and modern culture, in particular, the role of technology. Okay? This is, gonna go, this is going a little bit in a different direction than where we've been going. Um, it's, it's addressing some specific things, and in particular, some things that we need to be looking out for. Now, as I did when I first introduced this topic uh, a few, uh, about a month or so ago, I, I gave some books that were helpful in reading this. And I, I'm gonna make three book recommendations. Um, these have been helpful for me as a Christian. Uh, two of them are written by the same author who is not a Christian. Um, so one of these you may have read uh, or you've, you've uh, heard of, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Uh, the author is uh, by the uh, name of Neil Postman. Uh, he is currently no longer alive. This book was written in 1987, I believe, or 1986. So it was written during the Reagan administration. Um, so those of you who weren't alive during the Reagan, he was a president in the United States from 1980 to 1988. Um, Neil Postman has written, a, a, I think, a very important book, almost a, a book of prophecy of where we are as a society, in particular in regards to technology and its role within our society. I put this quotation, the medium is the message, because this, is, this has become almost a catchphrase now within society and within technology. All that simply means is that the message, whatever is being communicated, isn't so much important as it is the medium that's being used to communicate that message. Okay? So, simply as an example, why is it that the most beautiful people on earth are weather forecasters and news reporters? The medium is the message. There's something that's being communicated, and it's not that there's a weather front coming in from the West. Okay. There's an element of sex that is communicated even through news, even through reporting. There's an element of, of whatever that, that often replaces the importance of the message itself and in turn is a message. Neil Postman talks a bit about this. And where that kind of plays out is the other book that I'm going to refer to you or recommend to you. It's a book called Technopoly. 
This is also written by the unbeliever, Neil Postman. But he talks about the role of technology and, in particular, the role of technology in society. Now, this was written in 1993. These are books that are over 20 years old, but I think important for believers to be able to read. They're a little bit heady. Um, they're more on a conceptual framework, but it helps to really explain the line of thinking of things that often just kind of go past us as normal. Um, the one aspect that, that I thought was important that came out of this book was a statement that he made in that you can't undiscover technology. And that once a society progresses in a direction and they implement a technology as part of their working patterns, it's almost like you can't go back. And there can be a level of danger in looking at, especially Christianity, through the lens of nostalgia. In that if we could only salvage a bygone era and just get rid of these newfangled things, then somehow we would be able to achieve a greater level of virtue. Now that's not what he's saying here, but it's certainly an application of that principle. And I would like to speak, I would like to say that that's just not true. Um, that, that it's not simply just a matter of removing a tool as much as it is addressing the heart. Okay? Now, you're wondering, is he going to recommend a book that's from a Christian? Yes. Here is a book that's written by a Christian, which is immensely practical. In fact, I brought it up here. It's really small. Um, the font is pretty big. There's only about 150 pages in it. Those of you who are parents um, or you have families of teens or young children, um, this is a super, super helpful book. Uh, it's called The TechWise Family. The fellow's name is Andy Crouch. He is a believer. Um, just simply put, it's putting technology in its proper place in the home and then reclaiming real life in a world of devices. And he gives immensely practical help in looking at how the 21st century family, uh, the Christian family, can implement uh, just different principles, practices. It's not a book of rules, but it is certainly a helpful tool. Um, I wouldn't ascribe to everything that he says in there, but by and large, this is a really, really helpful and very practical book as it relates to the Christian and technology, especially within the framework of the family. Now, when it comes to technology, okay, and by the way, if you want any of these, I you know, see some of you kind of taking pictures or whatever, I'll be more than happy to send you this PowerPoint, or if you want to see me afterwards, I can post it on my Facebook, and you can implement technology and be able to order it on Amazon and just have it delivered right to your home. Okay, so what is technology? I think it's helpful in order to move forward and talk about the Christian modern culture and technology. What is technology? This is taken shamelessly off of dictionary.com. They give us five helpful definitions, but I'd like to focus in on two of them. Okay, The second definition and the fourth definition. The application of knowledge for practical ends or a scientific industrial process, invention, method, or the like. Okay, so it's application of knowledge for practical ends or a scientific and industrial process, invention, method, or the like. Now, part of the reason why I recommended Neil Postman in his books is because of how he defines and sees technology actually coming in and at some level wreaking havoc to society, but in, most importantly to individuals. Neil Postman defines a technopoly as a society in which technology is deified. 
meaning, quote, the culture seeks its authorization in technology, finds its satisfactions in technology, and takes its orders from technology. It is characterized by a surplus of information generated by technology in order to provide direction and purpose for society and individuals. Now, that's a meaty quotation, and there's a lot there to it, but I think his point is salient, and this is an unbeliever. Someone who sees that technology, the medium, has become the message. That life, its significance, is now filtered through the lens of our devices, our tools. Okay? And that is an imbalance as it relates just to persons, but it's also especially an imbalance to a Christian, okay? So, when we're talking about this, I hope you don't think that I am Johnny Raincloud when it comes to technology. I'm actually going to be using a device to look up Bible verses here. I'm going to be, we're implementing a level of technology to help communicate. So, lest you think that I'm having us going to have an altar call where Lynn Dodd plays just as I am on the organ and you all throw your devices in the fire much like we did the CDs of yesteryear. We're not going to do that, okay? Or tapes, I should say, or eight tracks, whatever you threw away at camp. Um, but it is important, again, to be aware as a Christian of how to be a good steward of a gift of God, okay? So what pitfalls await the Christian in our modern technological culture. The first one I'd, I would uh, direct us to is failing to be content. So let's turn to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Sorry, just a second. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know also how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then he gives the uh, illustration of the Philippians um, after uh, that they were willing to share with Paul in his position of need. And then Epaphroditus also uh, being, uh, carrying that gift to him. And Paul was pleased at their gift, which ultimately was to God. And in verse 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Now, as I said before, technology does not create a problem of being discontent and somehow being dissatisfied with circumstances. Rather, technology can simply reveal it. Um, there's a, a story, if you've ever read the book, Disciplines of a Godly Man, um, R. Kent Hughes, the author there, talks about the discipline of contentment and um, 
He uses an illustration of, of workers uh, in a, a Central American uh, country where there was a, uh, a factory that had been started in a particular area and it employed a lot of the workers there and it was actually supplying them more money than they had ever had before. And so a lot of these workers were actually using their money uh, in ways that were, were imprudent and, and they, were, they were actually, it was, it was causing them to be worse workers. You would think with greater finances would be better work, but in fact, they were making too much money. And so what the owners of this factory did was they sent them home with Sears Roebuck catalogs. And immediately, their glut of money went away. Because what happened was they learned all of the things that they were able to purchase through the Sears Roebuck catalog. And it wasn't that they were going out and getting drunk and simply you know, wasting their money in that way. They were now finding ways to spend all of their excess money in things that they didn't even know they needed. And that's what technology can do. Materialism, really, as it relates to uh, technology, isn't so much wanting, it isn't so much having abundance as much as it is wanting what you don't have and being unable to imagine life without what you do have. And what I simply mean is this. It doesn't matter what your income level is. And I think what technology can do is it can really you know, level the playing field of, of income when it comes to needs and wants. Because now, Pretty much anyone can be exposed to whatever it is they want, and through technology, we have the opportunity of being able to even acquire things that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to acquire. But materialism and a lack of being not content with whatever situation you're in has more to do with the heart than it does with the availability of stuff. And so when we want what we don't have and we're consumed by that, technology just simply inflames that desire. Now, as a result, and this is, this is a very intriguing aspect of, um, of, of kind of this layer of, or this pitfall uh, that technology can, can fall into, is the rise of depression rates with the rise of social media. Now, I'm not here to hammer on social media. It's going to come up several times in this. But... Maybe it's predictable, maybe it's not predictable, but when technology allows for individuals to be able to self-define and self-express, what happens is really the opposite of what, would, what you would think should happen. Because if I'm able to define myself and express myself, as a result, I should be able to control the response to myself. I should be able to have people appreciate me for who I am. In turn, though, what has happened is that mindsets really have been more geared towards narcissism, less towards altruism, and then feeling inadequate when people don't respond positively to my self-expression. So much so that if a post on social media receives only a few likes, there's embarrassment and even removal of the post from the wall or the board or whatever to begin with. And so now... How I view myself can be quantifiably measured in likes or emojis. It can be measured and it can be compared. The number of followers I have versus somebody else. Why is it that when I put up my anniversary picture yesterday, I only got 240 likes? But when the couple in the church put up their anniversary picture last week, they got 470. Now, as ridiculous as that sounds, 
this is the thought process that, whether we like it or not, we're starting to battle through, even as Christians. That there's this sense of worth that I derive from my technology and how I'm able to express myself. And it undercuts this whole aspect of being content. When we look at Paul, he's in prison. When we look at Paul, he has very little. But he does use universal terms. In any and every circumstance, I have learned how to be content. You know, the Philippians 4.13 wasn't just for his eye black, you know, that, that you know, football players just wear. It, it wasn't just simply a good mantra that he wore on a t-shirt or put on his prison wall. It was actually a reality of him. I can do all things who strengthens me. Technology can help to assault, or not help to assault, but, but it can really undercut this command to be content in any and every circumstance. All right. Pitfall number two, and these aren't in any ascending or descending order. These are just really the byproduct of study. Um, I, I would love to say, okay, this is, this is where I got this, this is where I got this, but really it's just after studying a lot and assimilating a lot of common themes, um, these are some things that, that I think it would just be helpful to draw our attention to. So pitfall number one, failing to be content. Pitfall number two, uh, the lifestyle of interruption. Having a lifestyle of interruption. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 15, 13. Let's turn there real quick. Proverbs 18 and verse 13. And this word interruption is somewhat loaded, so I want to, um, I, I want to kind of use uh, or give it a little bit more depth than just simply um, its face value. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13, he who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. What technology has allowed us to do is it abbreviates what we perceive to be the communication we need to hear. So we can now control the content. We can control who is an authorized source. We can control and actually peruse and abbreviate simply what we need to hear, and we become the arbiters of what is useful and what isn't useful. And as a result, that can even play out even to our human relationships, to where when we have a face-to-face -face human relationship, it can be very short and quick and utilitarian and to the point and, all right, speed up what you're saying because I don't have the patience to actually sit and hear you out. So we can become the interrupter, but we can also become interrupted by just the presence and the ability of us being able to access information through our technology, through our tools, okay? Um, I also have on here Joshua chapter 1.8, and this is really where um, I think a couple points can be brought out. First of all, technology can broaden our opportunities for human relationships, but it can also allow us to minimize the depth of those relationships, and that's, that's what I just alluded to, where the, 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 the human interaction that we have can become very short and abbreviated, but also the interaction uh, or the impact of interruption in our communication allows for shortened attention spans and incomplete shallow thinking. And how does that play out? Well, think of what we're told in Joshua chapter 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth 
but you shall what? You'll meditate in it day and night. Think of Psalm 1-2. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or doesn't stand in the way of sinners and doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. A lifestyle of interruption doesn't lend itself to deep thought when it comes to studying and reading God's Word, and it doesn't lend itself to deep, meaningful communication, especially with our God. So that prayer is really, really, really hard work. Like, I mean, prayer, honestly, is one of those things where I could hear a sermon on every week for 52 weeks and still need to hear more about how I, not just praying more, but the content and the depth of the communication I have with my God. Why? Because we can live in a lifestyle of interruption. And the impact of technology on our ability to focus on God's word and pray is significant. So we looked at the pitfall of, of an assault on our contentedness, being able to be content in Christ. Second of all, a lifestyle of interruption. Thirdly, and this is something, like I said before, I qualified where um, we're still as a family, I'm still as a family and as a dad, you know, trying to get my ducks in a row. What technology often does is it communicates that boredom should be avoided at all costs. Okay. Now, this might seem arbitrary, but... I want us to think about a couple of things. So this quote was taken from, uh, from this book here that I mentioned before. The more we're entertained, the more we become bored. It is the product of over-consuming distraction. And I would say that this isn't simply limited to teens with devices, because I know that's where some of your minds went. Okay? So I do a Bible study at Atria Assisted Living Facility uh, on uh, Route 615 there in Mentor. I'm doing a Bible study there uh, every Friday. Can I tell you that the majority of time spent in that assisted living facility is in front of a screen? Not just that specific assisted living facility, but most nursing homes. What do people do? Often they sit in front of a screen and they watch TV. And in fact, you know, as much as we kind of lament how much TV kids watch, retirees and the elderly watch just as much, if not more. Why? Because we must avoid being bored. We must avoid somehow um, undistracted thought, the presence of earbuds in any silent moment, you know, be it walking from one place to the next or, or going a mile. And, and these aren't bad things. But, it's a, but, but in a very real sense, boredom has to be avoided. Now, with that being said, the solution to this is that not everyone has the same level of creativity and that technology should encourage creative activity instead of creative passivity. Okay, there's a difference between being active and being passive. And often, I feel the most convicted about my use of technology when I've done so little. When I've just simply been the recipient of information and just taking in, taking in, taking in, and it demands literally nothing from me. Whereas technology, simply the, useful, the use of tools, applied knowledge, ought to be 
promoting a level of greater activity, greater skill. And with that being said, that skill can be applied as we interrelate with eternal beings, namely human beings. I mean, the people that we are around are going to spend somewhere forever. They didn't, I mean, they had a beginning, but they don't have an end. And so as we think of, say, for example, what some companies are actually doing now, where when they have meetings and everyone comes to the boardroom, the cell phones are either turned off or they're told not to bring the cell phones into the boardroom. You say, well, why would they do that? They're having me. Because what happens in those meetings is that people are giving their undivided attention to whatever the purpose of the meeting is for. And they're actually finding them to be more productive. But then also, when people come in and the boss is a little bit late, instead of taking out the phone, and ta -ta 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 -ta, they're actually looking at the people next to them and saying, how are you? I mean, it's not like this huge trend, but it is a growing trend of companies actually seeing better work productivity and actually better employee morale as a result of having these times where there is no allowance for the phones, for the technology to come in, and they actually have to face-to-face -face interact. And what they find is that they become more empathetic to their employees or to their, their coworkers. They, they learn about their, their coworker who you know, has a parent who's sick. And you know, for the last three weeks, they've been going over to their house and visiting them and taking care of them. And then later on, they ask them, well, how's your mom doing? And there's this kind of greater bond between those individuals. That's not to say that technology is the, the villain, but even unbelievers are starting to understand that, you know what, it's okay to have undistracted time, to, to not be constantly bombarded with information and to actually interact with those around you. And then this fourth one might sound silly, but I don't think it is. And that is the very real possibility of addiction. Um, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 says, walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Um, technology can very easily exacerbate the sinful tendencies that we see in our own lives. Um, I think there's a science element to it, and I think there's a spiritual element to this as well. Um, from a science element standpoint, I'm not going to get overly sciencey here, but the science of behavior surrounding chemical addiction, that is addiction to, say, crack cocaine, the addiction to alcohol, the addiction to opioids, is similar to the pleasure and reward centers that are activated when using technology, especially the internet and social media. So there's this substance in your brain called dopamine. Okay, and, and it gets activated when you are happy or you are about to become happy. It's like the reward center, the pleasure center. And so those places that fire, and some of you know the human body 10 times better than I do, so I'm probably not entirely correct here, but you get the gist. That there's this sense of, of technology creating pleasure and actually the reward of technology, be it the buzz in our pocket or the you know, six messages in the inbox, or the, you know, however many, you know, the post and how many likes that have just come in, or perhaps the, the anticipation of being able to purchase something new through the, the technological tool, whatever, that there is this, literally, a physiological response to that sensation. So much so that, I mean, just simply Google internet addiction, and there are 
journals, there's medical journals, there's articles, there's posts, there's every, uh, information about this, and they're treating this as a very serious issue, especially within youth, but also in adults. Now, I would say from a spiritual dynamic, we need to consider James chapter 1. Because James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 says that every person is tempted when they're drawn away of their own lusts and enticed. Which means that each one of us has our own kind of tailor-made sin list. And that there's going to be some things that have greater draw to you that might not have as strong a draw with somebody else. That being said, to look at something like internet addiction or, you know, technology addiction or whatever, ha, 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 that's really silly. But for others, this might actually be not just a real thing, but a driving thing. To the point where if it were removed from their life, a big part of their self-expression and identity would also be removed. That's a dangerous place to be in. That being said, so where do we go from here? I want us to bring us back to Scripture. Because 2 Peter chapter 1 is a passage where I think we have this sense of, okay, where are we going as a Christian? What character traits should we be seeking to grow in as we grow in Christ's likeness? And how does this encapsulate something like technology and our use of it? Okay, so starting off in verse 1. And if you want to uh, read in your scriptures, that's fine. I have it here on the screen as well. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received the faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of God our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now, as we're reading through this passage, starting in verse 3, I want you to see how many times that practical living, especially supplanted by technology, says, no, it's not. No, it's not. Because verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. No, it's not. No, it doesn't. But that's what this says. Let's keep reading. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent, magnificent promises, so that by them you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling in choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. This is a passage, as I've been studying, that I need to memorize. I need to filter life through this. I mean, truthfully, 
There's, there's a part of our human existence that enjoys the concrete, that enjoys um, the material, and we question just how significant and even sometimes how real what we've been promised in here is. I mean, to the point where, honestly, it's almost easier to live like a practical atheist. Or at least... If we do have a God, it's the busyness and the tools that give us significance. Okay. So, that being said, just a couple concluding thoughts. In the last 10 years, the pace of technological, technological change in our society was argu arguably greater than any previous decade in our world's history. And you can argue with that, and that's fine. I could be wrong. But just thinking, especially of the integration of, um, especially smart technology, and the integration of social media, into the warp and woof of lives. So much has changed so fast. Thus, we Christians should exercise patience with others, and we should personally prioritize the learning and doing of God's word and being with God's people. The fact of the matter is that families are trying to figure out how in the world they should raise their kids. No one gets an instruction manual you know, when, when their babies are born. And so truthfully, it's wonderful at 5, when we're about to eat at 5.30, it's wonderful to have 30 minutes of just, okay, let's me and my wife do something and plop our kids in front of the TV or plop our kids in front of a, a device. Okay, Is that a bad thing? I don't know. The fact of the matter is, is that so much has changed. I mean, there, there's an element to where we can, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but there's an element to where we can start to make value judgments about people and their ability to grow or their growth even just existing when it comes to their implementation of technology. I mean, you walk into their house and their TV's always on. What, what do you think about that? And what thoughts come to mind? That's true of some of us, you. I mean, it, it, so if your TV isn't on all the time, are, are, are you more godly? No, I, I'm, I'm dead serious about this. And what is it about, I mean, as we think about others, that's one aspect, and I, I kind of got ahead of myself, but as we just kind of think about ourselves and our own desire to be underneath God's word and to be with God's people, what things come into competition with that? I'm, I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. You're here on a Sunday night in the middle of the summer, okay? So live streamers, you pagans watching this through your screens, brr, no, not saying that, not saying that, but seriously, Just prayerfully considering my own life and the example I'm setting for others. You know, the example I'm setting, first of all, within my own home, but the example that I'm setting for, for others that is the priority being underneath God's word and being with God's people. And them understanding that too. Like having a testimony of that. That, that there are these eternal creatures that I rub shoulders with, sometimes saved, sometimes not. And if I'm waiting in an airport... Or if I'm, you know, just 
in a waiting room, or, or if I'm driving down the street, or if I'm doing yard work, whatever. And I can implement technology, especially electrical technology, especially things that are passive. I love listening to music just as much as the next guy. I love listening to the information, and I enjoy the constant barrage. But, but at some point, when does that start competing and crowding out God's word, its obedience, and, and God's people, and my responsibility to them? Okay? So, all that to say, things are changing. And, and I don't know if they're going to change that much more here in the next 10 years. But there, there should be a level of, of patience with, with others. And, and that's kind of where I go with the second point. We must constantly recalibrate our standard of holiness and sanctification to the biblical pattern of growing in Christ-likeness and delighting in the growth of others. On the other hand, we must not assign Christ-likeness to matters of preference that are not clearly defined by Scripture. Okay? And, and this could be generational. This could be generational. Where we, we can make assumptions about others and assigning moral virtue to you know, the person who loudly boasts, I don't have a TV. Or my kids aren't going to have a phone until they're 18. And they'll never have a smartphone. And, 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 and so, and, and I'm not here to ridicule convictions if you have those. That's, that's fine. At the same time, it is important, though, that as we look at what true growth in grace looks like, I mean, as we look at the Word and as we are able to grow because the Holy Spirit produces desires of obedience, that we have a level of delight in the growth of other believers and not just simply you know, look critically as they learn the ins and outs of the technological advances and as they try to keep up with their kids. Okay? So there's, there's tough waters that we're walking through. And I think as we come amongst believers, we do need to have a sense to where um, I'm mindful of them, they're mindful of me, we're trying to grow, we're trying to do the word and not just simply hear it. And when it comes to technology, there's just some gray areas. And, and um, it doesn't mean that there is no information on it. I think it just pronounces the value of being with other people who may have been there and done that. Hey, what are you doing in your family? You know, what type of things do you see? Or, or, or even being able to talk with a disciple, what type of things do you see? And, and I think all of us would, in, would want someone to be transparent. I just want people to be transparent with me. I, I think we do, but we don't. Because sometimes transparency can almost look like meddling. You know, where we see something, and you know what? Uh, and and it's, at, at some level, we must, as believers, delight in growth of other people so that we can look at them through a big picture and kind of see where they've been and see where they're going and, by God's grace, see where they're going to go and delight in that and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to work things out in their lives. Okay? This is why I made the qualification at the beginning of the sermon. Not to say that this can just be discarded and chuck it and don't worry about it, but I don't want it to sound nebulous, but I don't want it to sound just like an opinion piece either. Because I need you as I raise my family. I do. I need the body of Christ to help give counsel when it comes to stuff like this. 
I can't go rogue. I can't just put net nanny on my devices and assume everything's going to be okay. I need you. And that's part of the reason why we're here. And there are things that you're probably going to learn from me that I hope are good. There's some things you're probably going to learn from us as pastors that are good and then maybe not so good. But hopefully the trajectory is growth and grace in Christ-likeness. And that isn't just this foggy, yeah, they're more spiritual. But it's actually tangible. Um, this is sticky, isn't it? It's, it's sticky, it's tough. Um, it, it's, it's, um, it's not arbitrary, though. I don't think it's arbitrary. Okay, let's pray. God, thanks so much. Lord, we just need wisdom in applying um, these truths we understand the need for holiness. We understand the desire to not look like the world. God, we understand the level of growth that takes place in the life of a believer, that the Holy Spirit uses the word to bring about change in their life. But Lord, when it comes to the moving target that is our modern culture, especially as it relates to technology, especially as it relates to screens, to electronics, to lifestyle changes, when it comes to the information age and needing more of it and utilizing it and skillfully applying it. God, we need a level of caution, discernment, and trust from other believers who can bear our burdens so that no soul can come here and say, I'm just doing this on my own. But that we, being underneath your word, obeying where we know we ought, might skillfully live to your glory. God, use this, and use this time to create more conversations, maybe within families. Use this to prompt perhaps changes that need to be made. Lord, use this so that at the end of the day we'll be more holy and that we'll be more prepared to see Christ when he comes. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.